0: Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you that there's something of the supernatural of your spirit. Thank you that Rob spent the time preparing. Father, we're grateful for that, but we realize that there's more than that. You're much bigger than that. And so uh, we just pray your anointing upon him. And Holy Spirit, your anointing in our hearts, that we hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Russ. And again, thanks to our musicians, um, so many people do so so much to help and, and it's beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm quite a cognitive person and I tend to look at the words and mull over the words, especially a new song, and again this morning just thinking, they're beautiful words, um, quite inspired, I think. And thanks to musicians, thanks for Dylan and others that do the the audio and the visual, for. Um, Jack, who made the the box so you could see me, Um, just lots of people, so much for what you contribute. Um, I'd like to spend today and next week looking at God's response to illness. Uh, It's not an easy topic, um, but I think an important one, and um, it affects us all in some way, either personally, mostly personally, but otherwise certainly people close to us. So how does God respond to illness? So starting at Genesis 1, the beginning, tells us that at the beginning of history, God created. At the end of each day of creation, God looks at what he's made, and it's good. Then he creates man, looks at what he made, and it was very good. I just keep reading through the Bible, and when I get to the end, I start at the beginning again. And one time I was reading through and I thought, oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's very good. And then I realised, no, I think there's more to this. I think God wasn't, oh, well, that's not bad. I think he probably called the angels over, maybe, and said, come and look at this. What do you think about this? And when he made man, it was so good. And Genesis 2 describes that. God took man, put him in a Garden of Eden, a beautiful life of harmony, of love, relationship between God, man and woman. It was life as it was designed to be, um, just beauty and harmony. But then Genesis 3, man was given a choice between continuing on this way, that is, God's way, or choosing to go his own way. In eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, humanity chose to take control of our own life, to be our own boss. As Jen said this morning, who will we obey? God or ourselves. Humanity decided I'm going to choose we're going to choose to obey ourselves rather than to be obedient to God and to trust him. Well obviously we don't have to look very far today in humanity to see obvious glimpses of beauty as in chapter 2 but also a huge amount of destruction, hate, abuse, pain, suffering as a result of the choice that man made. In chapter three. So God didn't want this to go on forever. So what's the result? Humanity was sent from the garden and to eventual death. So death is actually ordained by God. Genesis 3:19 says, "God said to Adam, "In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken." For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So this explains the reason that death came onto the earth. The result of going our own way, which is sin, includes death, disease, and ill health. So in this setting, what is God's response to illness? And the subject, as we probably all know already, is fairly controversial and and complex. But I think it does need to be looked at, honestly. Um, So the subject itself and views on this have been at times controversial, divisive, painful for many, a beautiful blessing at times, liberating and at times mind-blowing. So what's the answer? Well I can assure you I don't have the answers but God does. Um, so, sorry about that. Um, but I'd like to look at God's responses to illness throughout his word and what do we see happening around us. In Western culture, we have a value system that really highly values answers. But that's not necessarily how the rest of the world thinks, and particularly Jews in Jesus' day had a different view. And it's, it's hard to understand that because we're so ingrained in our culture. In Jewish thinking, um, the treasure's not necessarily in the answer, but in the question. Merv and Meyer introduced us to a, a course called Beamer, and Marty Solomon looks at this and the Jewish way of thinking that in the cultural context, the history of the Bible and the text itself, Jews were actually more interested in the question than in the answer. Now, I have to share that Occasionally, um, as time goes on in our marriage, I'd ask Helen questions, as you do, and I, I, it happened again this week, just on Thursday, I thought, I said, so what time do we need to leave? And Helen will ask me about four questions, and the end of it, I still have no idea what time we meant to leave, <laughs> and I find it really frustrating, and I get really annoyed at times, I've, I've learnt to be different, I'll, show you, I'll tell you why. Because as I'm reading through the Bible, I'm reading the Gospels, and I thought, Jesus, you're just like that. They ask you a question and you give them four questions back and you don't answer their question. So I had to go back to Helen and say, Helen, do you know Jesus is just like you? <laughs> it must have been really annoying for the Jews, but I've learned since that it probably wasn't for them because they were used to the question rather than the answer. So I've learnt to change. I'm <laughs> learning to change. But, <laughs> but my desire is that we discover more of God, the healer's perspective of the topic, and how he expresses this in everyday life. Father, we want to hear you well. We want to see what you see, and we want to be transformed by what you're doing. Amen. I'd like to just give you a little bit of biology. In 1980, so that was after they'd thrown me out of school, scientists discovered things called telomeres, and it's related at the end of chromosomes. And the role of these those little yellow areas, the telomeres, is to help organise our 46 chromosomes. Um, they've been like they've been, sorry described like the end of shoelaces, that little plastic bit that stops them from fraying their telomeres. But they allow the chromosomes to be replicated properly during cell division. But they get shorter every time our cells divide. And so eventually, It was discovered that telomeres become too short to do their job. They reach a critical length where the cell can't be replicated anymore, causing our cells to age and stop functioning properly. This critical length triggers the cell to die by a process called apoptosis, or as scientists call it, programmed cell death. They act as the ageing clock in each cell. and I guess their role is that if they weren't there as... The chromosome shortened as we get older, we'd be losing our chromosome material rather than just telomeres. And I don't know where we'd be in that case. <laughs> um, but this explains some of the process involved in sickness and death. The Israelites knew Jehovah as the healer. After the exodus, the Israelites from Egypt um, of, the, of the Israelites from Egypt, God revealed himself as Jehovah. Rapha, the Lord who heals. So in Exodus fifteen twenty six, Moses is sharing and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commands, commandments, and keep his statues, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have put on, put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And Jesus also demonstrated this during his ministry on earth. In Matthew 12, 15, it says, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. He withdrew because the Pharisees were against him and wanted him to go. But the multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And then Matthew 10, 7 and 8 says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Jesus healed everybody who asked him, including some that didn't even ask, except for unbelief. In Matthew 13, 53 to 58, it talks about he didn't heal and couldn't heal because of their unbelief. But interestingly, I was looking at that as I was preparing this, and it struck me the couple of verses before it talks about uh, those who didn't believe were those who were offended at him. So I hadn't realised that before. So when we're offended, we're annoyed, we consider ourselves insulted, and we want the person to stop doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. That's what they wanted from Jesus. So he did. He he left. They couldn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah, that they had any need for him or for healing. Um, I was thinking about that in the context of Thomas. We call Thomas the doubter, which I think is a very unfair statement. Um, I think he was the searcher, and he wanted to know, is this really true? Did Jesus really rise? I want to know. And yet what did Jesus do? He didn't come to him and say, you know, you're pretty poor, you're not believing much. He didn't. He showed him his hands and his feet, and he said, here's the evidence. This case... In Matthew wasn't like that. They were offended. They wanted Jesus to go and to stop healing, stop doing what he was doing. God makes it clear that through Christ, he desires that the whole community is reconciled back to himself. Romans 5 and 17 says, "'For by, if the one man's offence, death, reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace,' and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Jesus also showed us Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He showed it so clearly. Creation also waits for healing. Romans 8 and 21 says, The creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So one of the, the difficult questions that I think often people struggle with um, is does the way we've seen that, does that mean that we go along and then we die? Does this mean followers of Jesus are healed from every illness until we die? And is this what the Bible promises? In Isaiah fifty-three, verse five, it says, But he was wounded. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So there's two ways people have interpreted this. One is God will heal all sicknesses if we ask Him. To. And the second is healing refers to salvation, forgiveness of sin, and healing of our relationship with God that is, spiritual healing. So many, many biblical scholars tend to support the second view, which is more consistent with the general context of the verse. And 1 Peter 2 and 24 probably shows that as well. It refers to the same verse back in Isaiah, um, but says, "'Who himself bore our sins on the tree, "'that we, having died to sins, "'might live for righteousness, "'by whose stripes you were healed.'" But however we ver- view these verses clearly salvation doesn't yet completely solve the physical problem of illness, ageing and death in the world. What is clear, however, is that sickness doesn't separate us from God. The atonement restored us into a right relationship with God. In the Old and New Testament and today, we see similar patterns in God's response to illness. However, today, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, We are all priests, and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit includes gifts of healing. 1 Corinthians 12 and 9 is clear on that. We each have direct access to the healer. God's eventual answer is resurrection of the person, resurrection of the body to complete wholeness. We have this to look forward to, but also have a taste of it now through Christ in us, through the Holy Spirit. I, as I say, I don't have the answer, but certainly some perspectives. And I was sitting um, next to the bed of my mentor, from um, who years ago had just come out of hospital. Um, it was not sure that he would survive through the illness, and he had septicemia, survived. And I'm sitting by his bedside um, at home just after he arrived home that day, and we're talking about illness and what are God's responses. And I think there are generally five different responses that God has towards illness. And so let's explore some of those. Um, The first one is that we sometimes need some time to get better. Our body's actually designed with a strong ability to repair itself and fight infection. If that fails, we're in drastic trouble. In the Old Testament, infectious diseases, um, there were laws for isolation, for hygiene, for diet. God had already given those. But, as we know, the body doesn't always heal completely. Um, As we get older, it gets harder, and at times the system fails. I'm intrigued by, again, reading through the Bible, I'm intrigued by the story in 1 Corinthians 1. King David's old, and he's cold. And it can be pretty cold in Israel, from what I understand. And they, they used lots of covers, and they tried to warm him up. They couldn't warm him up. So the servants came up with this great idea, they found a lovely young virgin and sent her to pop into bed with him. Not not to have sex, but just to keep him warm. Remember, they had no hot water bottles, no electric blankets. I looked at this again and I thought, hang on, where's Beth Sheba, his wife? (laughs) She's still alive, I'm not sure where she is. (laughs) But they found him, this young virgin. And I thought, God's got some interesting solutions. (laughs) At home, I have Helen sleeping on one side, and we have a cat a little cat that appeared as a stray on our doorstep for a week and we inherited a beautiful little little cat. He's older now and he tends to sleep on my other side so I'm stuck between Helen and the cat. And I was thinking imagine one day when the cat dies and we're older Helen wakes up one day looks over and says "What's that? Who's that?" This beautiful young virgin. And I said, "Well, well you know God. <laughs> but, but you never know what might happen. <laughs> God uses some interesting ways. <laughs> but, in yeah, but I'd be in trouble. <laughs> so but remember, Bathsheba somehow wasn't on the scene. I don't know why. <laughs> some New Testament examples. We'll, we'll switch to those, I think. <laughs> in 2 Timothy 4 and 20, Paul, interestingly, who's healed numerous people or been used by God, sorry, to heal numerous people, says Trophimus. I left at Miletus sick. I'm not sure why he left him there sick when he'd been involved in healing of others through, through Christ, but he did, he left him there sick. And then Philippians 2, 25 to 30, he talks about Epaphroditus, who was sick almost to death. Um, you'd have thought he'd do something before that, but no, sick almost to death because of the work of Christ. And the Philippians were so distressed about that that Paul sent um, Epaphrodites back to Philippi to show that he'd actually survived okay. So the first response is, we need some time to get better. Um, But in this response, there's limited benefit. New illnesses occur, we continue to age and eventually face death. Um, new, New illnesses occur, we continue to age and eventually face death. I'll keep repeating it anyway. It'll come up again. <laughs> seek. The second um, response from God at times is seek help from the doctor, from pharmacy, from the paramedical, those um, people who work around the medical scene as well. 1 Timothy 5, 23, uh, a verse we probably all know well, but there's a little bit in there that I'd missed for years. It says, no longer, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your, this is the word I'd missed before, is frequent infirmities. So encouraged to use wine as a medicine because of his frequent infirmities. It didn't seem to be just a one off or maybe one even illness. So, Everyone's happy. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's more to come. <laughs> um, So are doctors okay in God's eyes? Uh, Dr Luke was a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ. And he's spoken of highly in Colossians. Colossians 4 and 14 talks about Luke, the beloved physician. So God provides knowledge, learning and wisdom. Lots and lots of studies have shown that medication, herbs, exercise, diet, attitude, sleep, connectedness with others... And prayer, all shown to have measurable benefits in sickness and in health. Ezekiel 47, 11-12 says, Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. Isaiah 38 tells us, um, Isaiah said to Hezekiah's servants, Make an ointment from figs and spread it on the boil, and Hezekiah will recover. Proverbs, this is one that Mary will appreciate too. Proverbs 31 and 6 gives strong drink to him who's perishing. <laughs> and quite a few of us might enjoy that one. And wine to those who are bitter of heart. So doctors, pharmacy, paramedical, they help but have a limited benefit. New illnesses occur, we continue to age and eventually face death. Number three, third option, God's promise of strength and help in difficult, ongoing health problems. So God's presence in the journey of sickness, in the Psalms, David, who, remember, has this pretty young virgin next to him to keep him warm, still struggles and struggles and struggles in life. If you read the Psalms, there are lots of references that he describes his struggle through illness, through health. Um, One little part is, My bones are in agony, my soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long my wounds fester and are loathsome. My back is filled with searing pain. But Psalm 73, he says, Yet I am always with you, you hold me by my right hand. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign God my refuge. And Psalm 103 Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Some older people glow with anticipation of moving into the very presence of God, despite their struggles. Um, Just a couple of days ago, I have a little devotional book written by uh, Max Licado, who's an author and a minister in Texas. And this little bit came up. Live with gratitude. And Colossians 3.16, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. God's solution to any challenge is simply this, a grateful spirit. No mist is so thick that the sunlight of appreciation cannot burn it away. Case in point, Jack Ryan. Now Jack's a 70-year-old silver-haired saint be like you and I, Russ, I reckon, (laughs) nearly 70, (laughs) quick to smile and encourage. He's been absent for some time. Heart diseases suck the strength out of his body. So I went to visit him. Jack, I asked, I hear you aren't doing well. Oh, Max, he corrected with a weak smile, never better. They say you can't sleep. No, I can't, but I can pray. His eyes danced as he tilted his head. I just talked to Jesus. Max, I tell him I love him. I tell him thanks. These are good times for me. I'm just talking to Jesus. Poor circulation took Jack's colour. Disease sapped his vigour. His hands trembled. Yet you'd have thought he was a kid on Christmas Eve. In a sense, he was. Early the next morning, he went home to Jesus. Who is the real victor in life? It's not the person who dies with a thankful and hope-filled spirit. Is it not the person sorry, Is it not the person who dies with a thankful and hope-filled spirit? How do we die with gratitude? We live with it. God's promise of strength and comfort in illness, as beautiful as it is, has limited benefit, new illnesses occur, we continue to age and eventually face death. Fourth option is miraculous healing. The Old Testament and the New Testament give a number of examples of this, plenty in the New Testament. Um, Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 38, King Hezekiah, he's sick and he's near death. So he prays, he has a conversation with God, and God responded by extending his life by 15 years and gave him what, what boggles me even more so than his 15 years is God gave him a sign, immediate sign that it was going to happen. And the sign was the sundial went back by 10 degrees. We we sort of read those things and think, oh, yeah, the sundial went back 10 degrees. That had to shake the whole movement of the earth or the sun or something or both. Something drastic happened just to show him that God was going to extend his life by 15 years. In the New Testament, 22 specific healings by Jesus are mentioned. Um, specific ones on, as well as the multitudes that at times he healed and the whole villages. He showed that God's kingdom has come. There were numerous by his followers as well. Healing is a beautiful response by God. I, I was quite touched, oops, sorry, quite touched um, watching The Chosen that a number of us have, have seen. Um, there's a beautiful part. I can't remember who it was that was being healed. Um, it may have been Uh, the cripple by the pool, but um, whichever it was, I remember um, there's this beautiful moment of healing and then the camera goes back on to the person playing Jesus and you can just see this pleasure and joy in his face to have given this gift of healing. It's so beautifully put. Um, And I love the fact that the camera came back on to Jesus' face because we're invited to focus on the healer he is the source of life, rather than the healing. Um, Earlier this year in May, we had Angelo Dietrich come um, who's, and, and um, do a seminar on, on health. He's a psychiatrist as well as a pastor um, from Cairns. A great combination, I think. And on the Sunday afternoon, we, he had dinner with us and we were chatting about healing and an and experience that I've had. And he said, But remember, healing is a temporary event in the journey to death. It still is. Miraculous healing, as beautiful as it is, has limited benefit. New illnesses occur. We continue to age and eventually face death. The last one, the fifth one, is death itself, God's response. We sometimes do anything to avoid pain, suffering and death. But I'm grateful that Jesus didn't avoid it and was willing to suffer and die for us. We will all die unless Christ returns in glory first. The good news is Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. We've heard that a number of times in the context of the Jewish bride and groom. The bride is waiting for her husband to prepare a room for her at his father's house and waiting so beautifully for him to return and take her. And an elderly friend recently commented, God is still renovating my room. He isn't ready for me yet. When I get there, he'll have decorated it in the colours that I love. So death is the doorway into the very presence of God. Revelation 22, 1-5, explains that the best place to be is in God's presence, face to face. So Paul's view of death and Paul experienced healing, he couldn't decide whether it was better to be alive or dead. He knew what the issues were, and in Philippians 1 he says, when I think of myself, I want to go and be with Christ, but I know I'm still needed here for you. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, uh, 16 and 18b tells us, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal." So death is basically inevitable. Can It can be preceded by pain and suffering, of course. And for some of us, that's time for palliative care as we approach death. However, I imagine, I'm sure, that wheelchairs, ointments, treatments, and bandages are confiscated at the gateway to heaven will again be whole. Um, I love the verse, again, as I read through the Bible, I came across it um, years ago. And then again, and again, it's mentioned three times. No more tears, no crying. And also no pain, no death. Revelation 21, Revelation 7, and Isaiah 25. Max Ricardo says, Grace can take us from afraid to die to ready to fly. And C.S. Lewis, the British author, great theologian, taught at Oxford and Cambridge unis, arguably one of the greatest minds of the 20th century, had a beautiful relationship with God. And he gave us a glimpse of heaven in the Narnia series. At the end of the series, the children have gone into the new land, which was Aslan's land. And Aslan had already given his life for them. And C.S. Lewis says, But for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Stepping through death is a glorious benefit God's people. There are no more limitations, no illness, no ageing, and no more death. So what's God's purpose? In his responses to illness, what's his purpose? What's God's response in your and my situation when it comes to illness. What's God's purpose in his response to illness? It's his glory, our growth, our holiness, rather than our comfort. We like formulas. Um, they become secure, but God works out of his character, not a formula. He wants us to rely on his presence, his revelation within relationship with him and what he is doing in this illness. Again, Two days ago, reading in the Passion. This time I'm reading through the Bible. Well, part of the Bible, the Passion translates. 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 says so beautifully. So no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. In verse 14, we do this because we are convinced that he who raised Jesus will raise us up with him. Together, we will all be brought into his presence. Yes, all things work for your enrichment so that more of God's marvellous grace will spread to more and more people, resulting in an even greater increase of praise to God, bringing him even more glory. So in conclusion, focus on Jesus, not our illness. Um, I'd like to pursue that some more next week. Um, That's the way to find God's peace. I'm aware that it's easy for me to say that. Focus on God, not our illness. Um, I'm not suffering at present. Um, I'm not facing a situation such as having a very young child who's dying in front of me and having to make decisions um, about treatment with the event of losing my young child. And others have gone through that. But I do look at examples from other people's lives. The, The disciples... The martyrs, Paul in prison, you read their stories and what happened, and amazing some of the martyrs that were burnt to death, and, and just read some of those recently. And one I'd just like to um, share, with, that I have Elaine's permission to share, is Elaine Pryor. Elaine has had cancer, which has spread within her body for a number of years. She's had chemotherapy, lost her hair, it's grown back again for the moment, sickness, Wounds that take a long time to heal, shortness of breath, disappointments, sometimes it's been phenomenally tough and he's just going back, just restarted chemotherapy, but last week struggled with the, the job of telling her children, her family, that she needed to go back into treatment, that things had got worse again. And yet last week Graham said, do you know we've laughed so much in the last six years, which was so beautiful. Excuse me, But when I ask Elaine, how are you going? Um, she says, so often she said, I'm in God's hands. I am so blessed. So thank you, Elaine, for the example you are to us. We're so blessed by that too. So focus on Jesus, not on our illness. Hear God and obey. This comes out of our relationship with God and what he's doing. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God. I'd like to listen to a song. It's called Scars in Heaven. Um, It's written by Mark Hall from the, the group that sing it, Casting Crowns, and he, quoting him, he wrote this song watching his mum caring for her parents as they were passing away. There were changes from sickness. There was pain. There was suffering. It was tough. Then suddenly aware of their absence, and the world seemed quieter after they'd passed away. Yet it's a song about hope in the midst of loss, a reminder that in the end, Jesus wipes away every tear, eradicates every disease, and heals every wound. Thanks